Totally Football Show. Today, League Cup. Do you care about the Carabao Cup? Has the team been born that will ever beat Man City? And in the week that Bristol City exposed Pep's thermal exhaust port, could Liverpool drop a thermal torpedo down there this weekend in the Premier League? Also coming up today, how do you pronounce Jenk Tosun? Like that. And why he can't come too soon for the Toffees as they face Spurs. Also, with Andre Villas-Boas now out of the Dakar rally, how will the car fare under Roberto Di Matteo? There's Premier League previews and the Rooney Rule, designed to cover up that glaring gap at the top. Is that why it's called the Rooney Rule? It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. All right, today's show is featuring quite a stellar lineup, actually. We've got Michael Cox from The Mixer. Hi, James. Hi. What, you were thinking I was going to go zonalmarking.net on that? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the, the paperback is out today. If anyone's Bingo. So thanks for that. Wow. I'd still plump for the hardback because it's one you, you, know, you want to keep. Yeah, it's sold out, though. So you, oh, really? You can't. You can have mine. Uh, <laughs> Rory Smith. Hello. From The New York Times. Yes. Wow. Here's a question for you. It's all right, it's okay. You may look the other way. We can try to understand the New York Times effect on man. What song is that? I don't know. Daniel's story? Good morning, James. Do you have any idea? No idea, no. Okay. I'll reveal the answer later on. But you're in as well from Football 365. Yep, lovely to be here. That's brilliant news. I've got a question for you straight off the bat, actually. Okay. Uh, Tom Byfield says, how do you feel about having Aitor Karanka in at Forest? Reasonably promising. Um... If we're going to have a manager here for less than a year, as is customary at the city ground, it might as well be a, a half-decent one. OK. We are shambolic defensively, and that's kind of what he did at Middlesbrough. Um, though he, At Middlesbrough, he made them very, very boring in attack, but I don't think you can make our attack with that many sort of academy kids. I don't think you can make them boring, so that'll be a challenge for him. All right. Cut to this time in nine months. Yeah. Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, OK. In the meantime, you must have really enjoyed the victory over Arsenal. Yes, it was brilliant. It was like a game we've not seen for a long time, which is frustrating in one way, as is as always happens. There's a kind of tinge of regret that if you can play like that every week, why can't you play like that against every championship team? Um, but yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I actually thought we'd get pumped, so I was yeah delighted. Okay, very nice. Okay, well we we got a broad selection of people: the Mixer, Football Three Six Five, the New York Times, and me, fresh in from the darts at Frimley Green. So my question is, what have I missed this week, Rory? There's been League Cup semi-finals. Oh, there's been so many League Cup semi-finals. Uh, Manchester City narrowly beat Bristol City, yeah. and then Chelsea and Arsenal also played. Which wasn't quite the life-affirming experience that it had been the previous occasion about a week before. No, it was. Um, yeah, you didn't miss much. Okay, Bristol City's trip to Manchester though was stirring. Yes, that was uh, a very good game, and to my Slight surprise, maybe wrongly, considering they did well against United. But uh, Bristol City didn't just give City a game. They actually went for it. You know, they pressed high up. Um, sometimes that exposed them, I think, for the goal that De Bruyne scored. They were pressing high up and a couple of good passes, including one from Claudio Bravo, it should be said, um, cut through their lines very quickly. But they went 1-0 up and, um, and competed really well throughout the first half. I think second half, maybe energy levels dropped a little bit and City's quality uh, came through and obviously got the last minute winner but it was another really really good performance from uh, Bristol City and mm. uh, and 2-1 away from home um, the away goals is slightly different in the, in the League Cup you need to have played extra time for, for away goals to count but 2-1 away we'll say from that home again. Uh, away, away goals, goals only, only count right. after extra time in the second leg it's very confusing 
There's no way I'm going to understand that. You could repeat it as many times as you like. <laughs> Let's yeah. just move on and pray it doesn't happen. Okay, what, but, what but basically the... 2 one defeat is, is a pretty good result for Bristol okay. City. Yeah. What, what are the chances of that scenario happening or of an upset at, at Ashton Gate, Daniel? I'd say slim. Um, the, the one thing people kind of overlooked in this, didn't Bristol City do well, and they did do very well, is that City made a heck of a lot of changes. I was actually surprised by the amount of changes Guardiola made. I thought he would start Aguero, try and win two or three nil and kind of close the tie off at that point but I guess he thought with with Liverpool coming this weekend play the reserves I suspect they will have far too much for them again in the second leg but you know that we shouldn't really be talking about that you know these are these are two clubs that are worlds apart right and a a Bristol City side that this time last year we're we're heading down to League One and yeah there's a there's an interesting um Steve Lansdowne, the chairman, there were huge protests against him, against Johnson's management in April. Uh, I think the, the local paper did a, a big thing where, because fans were hanging, basically hanging bedsheets off bridges in the lo- in the local area saying, get jo- get your Johnson out. Um, <laughs> and, and he didn't listen. He told them to be quiet and kind of shut up. And it's turned absolutely remarkably around. Um, Incredible. I, they've got yeah. I, I don't think they'll go up this season. I have to say they're third, but Derby are kind of moving away in that direction, and Cardiff have been better than two. But I, he's done a, a brilliant turnaround mm. and knocked uh, Palace, Watford, and Stoke. And who knows? It could happen the way it did against Man United in the FA Cup. In the meantime, the sheets very much clean or cleaner these days in the Championship. Mm-hmm. But that's a kind of yeah. Are they keeping clean sheets? Uh, no, they've lost lost last game five 0 to Villa. Not so much. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, but what they did, and to an extent what Burnley did previously in the FA Cup against Man City, putting pressure on high up, putting pressure especially on John Stones, is that what other opponents for Man City should be doing? For example, Liverpool this Sunday, Rory. How interesting you should ask. Well, I think Liverpool will do that naturally. That's kind of the way that Liverpool play. They Certainly Anfield, they wouldn't, you wouldn't expect them to do anything other than kind of that fully commit to that Klopp ultra-intensive press. Uh, without Coutinho, I think they might they might be even more wedded to that idea because he was always slightly... always had the, the impression he wasn't necessarily naturally suited to that pressing game. Not that he didn't, he wasn't a good player or they won't miss him, but he, he wasn't necessarily the sort of midfielder that, that Klopp would automatically have wanted in his ideal side. Without mm-hmm. him there, then I think what you'll get is an even more Klopp Liverpool, which means pressing high up from the start, that, real, that high energy stuff. And they will hope that that can kind of put City under a little bit of pressure and not leave them too exposed at the back. All right, Liverpool without Coutinho, but with Van Dijk. If, if you were managing Liverpool, Michael, would you rather have Van Dijk in that team? Would you rather have this team now or the one from a fortnight ago? Probably the one from a fortnight ago, but once you factor in the fact that Naby Keita is going to come in in the summer, maybe in January, there's some speculation they might pay money to get him there earlier. I, I think they're a little bit weaker than they were a couple of weeks ago. But I think when you look at it longer term, it's an incredible amount of money for Coutinho that they can invest in two or three players and, and they've got certain weaknesses in there. Uh, one of them was centre-back. I think the other clear one is the goalkeeper. Right. So if you look at it on a longer-term basis, I think they've, they've done well. Mm. Even without a strong man in goal, they have been on a final on themselves. Not quite as impressive as City's unbeaten run, but it is now 17 games since Liverpool last lost. And they do generally do well against Manchester City. Oh, City haven't managed more than a draw away against Liverpool since August 2014. They did have that win in the League Cup final 
at Wembley, but then they won that on penalties. So I believe I'm right in saying, Michael, they didn't actually win that at all. Yeah, that is correct. There's also a stat that surprised me that City haven't done the double over Liverpool in 80 years. Was it they've not won at Anfield for 15? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Liverpool have won 10 and drawn four of this fixture in... And the last 15, 14, 15, yeah. As someone said on my Twitter timeline the other day, considering some of the dross that's won at Anfield in that time, that is <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, what does that mean then, Daniel? Uh, I think it means that Liverpool will, as Rory says, will, will take the game to City. I think the interesting battle is if Mohamed Salah is fit, um, which I think he probably will be, then left-back is clearly City's weakest area. So strongest area against weakest area always feels a, you know kind of an exciting thing to watch mm. um the other thing is is manchester city's wide players against liverpool's fullbacks andrew robertson was excellent in the fa cup last week um and either trent alexander arnold or joe gomez have also been good at, at right back for liverpool but sunny and sterling kind of drifting in field is is not what either of those fullbacks want to see and with aguero clearly going to start the game i, I still fancy do you still fancy City? Mm. It's an interesting test of Van Dijk as well. Does in the derby on last Friday, Everton really nicely just aimed every goal kick at Virgil Van Dijk's head, as though they'd said, "Look, we want you to feel comfortable here. We want to play to your strength." And they'd, you'd, you'd see it when Pitchford had the ball; the entire pitch would sort of drift lazily to the left, and then the ball would sort of loop up and just land on Van Dijk's head. But City obviously won't do that. His aerial dominance won't really be relevant against City. That's not necessarily how they play. Mm. How he handles someone as quick and as nimble and as whose movement is so good as Aguero is a really good test of, of kind of whether he's worth that money. Does you need a defender who can, can deal with that sort of threat as well as a defender who can sort of head balls lobbed, lobbed at you from Jordan Pickford he's, away for 90 minutes? He's not a, he's not a Paolo Maldini defender, Van Dijk. He's not a, he's not a defender that will read the game two plays ahead which is kind of how you have to combat Manchester City he's a he's a player who's kind of he's not hugely fast but his his physical presence his athleticism is what kind of gets him out of trouble isn't it but interestingly at Southampton's training round they had in the gym they had a whiteboard with all of the players sprint stats on it and I remember reading it and expecting someone like Nathan Redmond to be the quickest and Virgil van Dijk was the quickest player at Southampton over 40 metres I think yeah which you wouldn't expect Absolutely not. 5-0 last time, Michael. Yeah. What do you think? I think uh, in terms of individual games from now until the end of the season, this is City's toughest game by quite a long way. I fancy Liverpool to get the win, actually. Wow. They've just got a really good record in these kind of top six clashes, Liverpool. Um, And yeah, the the Salah factor. I I just think Liverpool have the, the natural tactical ability, if you like, to cause City real problems. And uh, yeah, I- I'm looking forward to this game. I think I think it's always a good fixture. I'd say this game in 2014 is probably my favourite Premier League game of all time, that 3-2 where Coutinho scored a late goal. Um, always seems to be eventful. Um, and I think Liverpool actually started quite well in the reverse fixture before that red card as well. It should be a really, really good game. That's coming up on Sunday, as is the darts final at Premier League Green. <laughs> More after this. Arsenal head to Bournemouth this weekend, and do you remember what happened last time they visited the Vitality? Yep, the Cherries went 3-0 up, but proceeded to have Simon Francis sent off and let in three goals in the last 20 minutes. Ouch. Well, with two up from Paddy Power, you can back any team in the Premier League or La Liga to win, and if they go two goals up, Paddy will pay out immediately as a winner, even if that team ends up losing. Head to paddypower.com to find out more. T's and C's apply. Win, draw, win singles only. Exclude shop and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. Be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Oh, if you head over to our Facebook page, 
Uh, you can find a couple of videos from Michael Cox. You're talking tactics, Michael. It's very exciting, isn't it? That is good. Uh, we're going to be doing competitions there, quizzes and giveaways in the coming weeks. So get yourselves along to facebook.com forward slash the totally football show. It's almost like we've just hired a new social media person mm. or something like that. Speaking of prizes, by the way, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you can give as many stars as you like. Just give us a review and you could win a totally football prize, which could be, it says here, a book, a shaving kit, or even a piece of office furniture because we've been decorating. Hmm. And finally, a reminder that next week this kicks off. Golazzo starting next week. Uh, transfers. The market is open. The window. What's going on? I love this time of year, Michael. What have you got? What have I got personally? Mm. Um, nothing in particular. Rory, uh, what have you been telling the readers of the New York Times about? Not a vast amount. We tend to wait until there's some degree of certainty before reporting anything, even in football transfers, which kind of removes the fun of it. That's entirely the fun. That's yeah. like not watching a match and they're just reading the final score. But it's the, the football transfers are the perfect example of the whole fake news environment, so we kind of, we kind of opt out of it <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it looks like for once in January, pretty much all of the top six will, will do something. All right, I'm hearing that the big, big clubs are going to be active in this January window. <laughs> Put a um, yellow ticker on it. OK. Have you seen... What on, about um, Sanchez? Won't he be going to City sometime today? I think they've, they've, they, they, there is an offer there. OK. They're talking to Arsenal about bringing him... You see? ...early. And as Michael's already, already referenced, Liverpool are trying to get Naby Keita in. Yeah. In January. But Red Bull don't want to budge. Sorry, Michael, you were going to no, say something. No, just on the subject of uh, the yellow ticker, mm. I, uh, I watched Sky Sports News briefly the other day and they've got a little countdown until the till the deadline and includes a millisecond column really when we're about four weeks away from or three weeks away from it speak to Adrian Silver about that millisecond (laughs) (laughs) DRRN17 says what's the strangest signing by a big club in a January window I can't think past Julian Faubert going to Real Madrid in 2009 that's a good he's won that hasn't he yeah was Stephen Colker to Liverpool? Yes, yes. That's I think January. it was. Yeah, that's a Played good twice one. as a striker, and they didn't play again. <laughs> Pretty good, but it is, it's no Julian Fobo, though, is it? Julian Fobo's still playing. I believe Julian Fobo is playing in Finland. Is he? Yeah. All right. Um, so no other transfer news anyway. Uh, Everton b- did make a signing, though, didn't they? And here is Turkish football saying, listening to the podcast, this is how you pronounce his name. It is Cenk Tosun, not Cenk Tosun as I'm sure he will be called. Another fun fact, says Turkish football, Cenk means war or battle, Tosun means young bull. So either bull of war or war bull. That's quite exciting, isn't it? Particularly with him in the squad, I imagine, for their trip to Wembley this Saturday evening to take on Spurs. This feels to me like a big match. Yes, it's, it is a big match. It's certainly a big match for Sam Allardyce if, if Tosun starts, um, because... Their attacking recently has been abysmal. They had one shot on target at Anfield in the FA Cup and scored that on a counter, which is kind of fine. That was kind of their plan the whole way. Um, But between December 2011 and Allardyce's appointment, Everton never failed to have a shot on target in a home game. And they've they've failed to have a shot on target in two of the last three home games against Chelsea and Man United. So in... Six years? Yeah, they'd they'd never failed to have a shot on target in a home game. He turns up. Two in three games. They have just gone... There was two trains of thought. He was either going to try and sort of have, you know, clear the cobwebs and be this new sort of old dog learning new tricks Allardyce and really seize his chance, or he was going to do the parody version of what he always does and really annoy Everton fans. And he seems to have 
committed to that second idea even more than everyone thought. What a time for Warble to be turning up then at Goodison. Yeah, I mean, he there is a lot of pressure on on him. That he's kind of being sold as the answer to Everton's problems, but so was Sandro Ramirez was sold as the answer to Everton's problems. So was Gilfie Sigurdsson. So was Wayne Rooney to an extent, and all have fallen fairly flat on their faces. This idea that they don't have a striker is kind of undermined by the fact that they bought Sandro Ramirez and thought quite a lot of him in the summer. Mm. And I mean, he's effectively a well now. Um, so there is a lot of pressure on to soon. I mean. Allardyce probably has a free pass to the end of the season, wherever Everton finish. Um, but if that football doesn't improve next summer, and I can even see them going after Marcus Silva again as early as this summer, then, I mean, he'll take his £3 million payoff and go back to Spain and have a lovely time, I'm sure. But right. Or play darts. Yes. Because Michael was pointing out this week mm. that he is he's perhaps the only Premier League manager to have taken part in a top-level <laughs> darts competition. Yeah, I, I can't pre- precisely remember the story, but it's something to do with him training with Phil Taylor and entering the... A BDO uh, v- Yeah, the event early somewhere. qualifying rounds or something. Yeah. Maybe he'll do that. I thought the um, <laughs> the Everton game was... Sorry, the Everton-Liverpool game was interesting last week because, and I don't know whether this is a coincidence or um, a kind of consequence of Allardyce's style of football, but I thought that Everton played some good crosses into Calvert-Lewin, who just doesn't have that aerial ability. He's not that kind of player. He's... I'm not sure he's really a centre-forward. And uh, I can't say that I've seen much of Tushun. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, despite mm. your, Not really, was mm. it? Never mind. Is Jenk Tushun. Or is his surname Jenk? Because sometimes with Turkish players, it's yeah. not the way you expect it to be. Yeah. Like Emre. Yeah, and yeah. Penbe Erdogan wasn't his wasn't it doesn't it's not always the same. I, I will not claim to be an expert and I don't want to offend anyone culturally. No. Or two but, guy. Yeah. But he was good enough only to really... I mean, obviously it was Tudai Teramalodlu, but yeah. he was just Tudai. I, yeah, I imagine actually. in Turkey, people just call him Tudai, and that's right. That's fine. Right. But So the question is, which do they just call him? Yeah. Is he is he Cenk? Is he War? Is, is he Mr. War? Or, or is he Mr. Bull? Mr. Bull? I think, uh, and again, I would probably offend a number of people, but I think Cenk is the first name. I went to a Cenk. school with a guy called Cenk, who had was of Turkish background. We certainly called him Cenk, but this now makes me fear that I, for seven years... <laughs> Was offending him on a daily basis. Well, well also he's he's basically German as well. He was born in Germany. I think he lived there till he was seventeen, eighteen. So right. maybe he's he's kind of slipped into. This is definitely the norms. highlight of today's pod. Us blindly stumbling. But anyway, through the, the point I was going to make is I don't know if he's good in the air or not. But the thing so, about okay. Everton is that Everton. I I was at the Mersey Derby and the Everton United game. The Everton fans are not happy. Daniel's right that Allardyce isn't. He's not going to get sacked between mm. now and the end of the season. But that can Everton is a fan base that that can turn relatively quickly, and when it turns it's quite visceral and quite vitriolic. The fans do not like it. That's not how Everton play. That's not what they expect. They have this whole weird sort of schism between the Dodgers of War and the Stool of Science at Everton anyway. But you go too far one way and you're not going to take the fans with you. And even against United, which was an awful game of football, yeah. illuminated by two very good goals, there was this sense at Goodison that this is not what they signed up for. It's not what they expect. You don't expect Allardyce to change because he's Allardyce and he's so wedded to, to what he is. But he's going to have to sort of water it down a bit because you're not going to take the fans with you and as Martinez and Koeman and various others will tell you Goodison when the fans aren't happy is a horrible place for the home team to play yeah there's, there's also that kind of Allardyce got slightly um, screwed over in the fact that when he was first talked about getting the job Everton were I think 17th or 18th in the league but actually by the time he got appointed because they'd won the game before they were suddenly 13th or 14th I think which meant that the fans immediately thought, well, we don't actually need a firefighter here. We don't. We're not going to go down. So Allardyce kind of had to come in as something other than a firefighter when 
in effect, he isn't anything other than that. What does it mean as well for their impressive coterie of young players? Uh, Adamola Lookman coming in uh, in the in the derby and, and having quite an impact. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Allardyce necessarily is a is an anti young player manager. Um, he certainly is a manager. If he gets a striker, if Tassoon is good in the air, he will use crosses. And Lookman and Balassi are both. I suspect they'll play for one position, but they're both excellent at that. Um, so I know I don't. I don't necessarily. Everton have got a great crop of young players, and it would be stupid to leave them. Allardyce is a pragmatist. He will do whatever he thinks is best to get victory and however it looks. And if that involves playing young players, I think he'll probably do it. Mm. But the shame is that they, they've got this amazing crop, and I mean, not not signing the warble, but. The, the shame was going and spending all that money in the summer when they could have said, well, look, actually, we've got four or five young players who we can bring through. You, they didn't. They, it's a massive missed opportunity, not just for Everton, but for if you care about that sort of thing. The English game. Yeah. Right. And I think as well, the young players are really just the better players. I mean, Mason Holgate looks a really good player to me. I'm not sure you want to be playing Ashley Williams ahead of him. Yeah. Fair point. One would expect uh, Sam to take on a pragmatic approach away to Spurs, a Spurs team who, of course are chasing a top-four finish, currently three points behind Liverpool. Other Everton news, by the way. Bramley Moor Dock, which does sound like one of their promising kind of youth team, <laughs> uh, but it's actually their new stadium, or will be, sometime around 2022. Uh, Bill Kenwright says that the development is progressing, or plans are, but the price is more or less doubled to £500 million. That's mm. a lot of money. But, of course, Fahad Moshiri has a lot of money. And he was also in the news this week, he said, segueing neatly along, because he was explaining why Lukaku hadn't renewed his contract with Everton. Uh, he had a voodoo and got the message he needs to go to Chelsea, said Moshiri. Uh, Lukaku's people have said that they may take legal action over this. An astonishing thing to say. It was, really it? astonishing, yeah. Lukaku these days is at Man United and Rory. Nice. <laughs> they are taking on Stoke on Monday evening. What's the name of the Stoke manager? Well, it's Eddie Nidvicki is the there you go. the caretaker, but he's not the manager. Um, who's going to be the manager? I, I saw some exciting talk of of Kike uh, Sanchez Flores. Yeah, he, he's there. been linked. I mean, they've obviously missed that. Would be a real paradigm shift, no? Well, it, yeah, it would be, but then it kind of be what Stoke Stoke have been going through this thing for years, where they they want to not be Stoke anymore. They yeah. want to be kind of more attractive, and then they they. Every, the Hughes pattern was at the start of every season he'd be like we're, we're going to be a different stuff we signed Bojan or we signed Shakiri, or mm. we signed Arnautovic and then they'd have some good results normally on TV which is really important if you have good results on TV there's never any problems uh, and then they'd not be on TV anymore they'd lose loads of games and then around about November Hughes would decide actually we need to be real stoked again and mm. they just that was kind of that's what they've been doing for like four years so TK I guess would at least kick them on or he would fall into the same cycle and end up playing like a Spanish version of Tony Pulis football. That's a prospect, isn't it? Do you think he, he was he was relatively cautious and relatively boxy for a Spanish manager, though, would you not say? His Atletico side were kind of two banks of four. Yep. His Watford side never really impressed me aesthetically, I should say. I thought his Watford were OK. They were better than they were under Mazzari. Yeah, that is true. The, true. I, I mean, I think he's he's not he's not kind of Guardiola. Just We tend to think anyone with a, a fancy, lots of vowels in their name is... is a great artist. Kike's a bit more pragmatic than that. I think that's mm. true. But he's, he. I'm not sure he'd necessarily liked the idea that he's similar to Tony Pulis. Eddie, no, I wouldn't Ed, say it to his face. I just want to say that Eddie Nitzwicky has got lots of vows. <laughs> that's true. In his name. That's true. So will they get an, an, a real not quite manager bounce from him, and uh, and get maybe a draw away at Man United because everybody's getting draws there these days, aren't they? Yeah, I, I actually think the Stokes quite a nice project for any manager moment, apart from the fact that they're. 17th or 18th of the Premier League. Well, they spend loads of money, don't they? Yeah, and also, 
the one thing Hughes did, and um, I mean, Michael said it to me before, Hughes did a great job at the start, taking them to you know three nights in a row. That was that was excellent. But in the last eighteen months, they've not only played badly, but they've played with absolutely no style whatsoever. You know, they don't. They're not pragmatic. They don't sit deep. They don't. When they had Arnautovic, they kind of gave him the ball at every opportunity. But other than that, they have no style. So it's a bit of a blank canvas for a manager to come in. And, and the Stoke fans were so... They waited so long to sack Hughes that the, and the fans got so sick of it that actually I think suspect they're probably ready to embrace pretty much everyone that comes in. It, it seems a very odd thing to have gone for Gary Rowett oh, we missed out on Gary Rowett because Derby gave him a new deal. So the obvious answer is Kike Sanchez-Flores. It seems there doesn't seem an awful lot of joined up thinking there. I, I think they've just, they basically missed out on all the usual candidates and then they've gone, oh God, there's no one left. With but, Martin O'Neill, not the other. Yes. The other likely. Yeah. Mm. Which would, that, With that, Roy Keane, apparently. That would fit the trend, wouldn't it, of, of just going to get anyone in their 60s. Mm. That's what you do when you're in trouble. And statistically, when the new manager bounce does work, uh-huh. it's defensively. You know, you get a new manager in, they make them more organised, they show up with the defence. I mean, this is, has been statistically proven. Stoke have conceded 47 goals in 22 games, which is a terrible record. If you concede more than two goals a game in Premier League history, you go down. So they do need someone to come in and sort out the defence. And I think they've got enough attacking players, really, that that can come next and they can sort themselves out. But I think it's easier to turn around Stoke with that defensive record than turn around West Brom or Swansea, who actually defensively been OK. They just don't have the attacking individuals. Chelsea taking on Leicester this weekend. Are you excited about that, Daniel? Uh, yeah, quite excited. It's yeah. the Claudio Ranieri derby. That's um, true, the Kante derby. Yes, I mean, we could go on, Danny Drinkwater. The Danny um, Drinkwater derby. Chelsea really, really need a win, and they really need Alvaro Morata to score a goal, I suspect, or at least maybe hit a shot with some conviction. Um, because watching him in the League Cup, and obviously against Arsenal last week, he is bang out of confidence. He, there's a weird kind of... Interesting similarity between how his and Romelu Lukaku's seasons have gone, given clearly it could easily have been the other way around in terms of clubs, because they both started brilliantly and yet have hit this confidence patch that Romelu Lukaku has the excuse that the service at Manchester United is pretty dreadful. But, I mean, Morata has two of the best in the business in in Hazard and Fabregas, and both have actually played pretty well this season. And yet he just, yeah, he looks looks absolutely bereft. Uh, Hazard is a doubt for this. Ross Barkley is now... An option, although I imagine he's not particularly match fit, is he? I think he's more match fit than we might think from what Conte said. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's involved on the bench this okay. week. I think a start is probably beyond him. But um, I seem to be one of the few who thinks this could work out quite well. Um, the Ross Barkley move? Yeah, with the system Chelsea are playing, three-five-two, it gives basically licence for two attacking midfielders to push forward. There's been some chat he'll play in the forward line. Don't really get that personally. Um, but Bakayoko's been a big disappointment. Rain. I think he's he's just, his finishing's dreadful and he seems to switch off in his own box as well. Barkley, um, it seemed like when he was playing on a big in a big game on TV, he played really poorly. But when I watched him in a uh, you know, run-of-the-mill game at home to... You know, bottom half team. He was actually very good, and um, mm. I just so think something he's... about playing weaker sides. You think might improve his game? <laughs> well, quite possibly, <laughs> but I think people underestimate. You know, there's a, a lot of things these days that a player's a big game bottler right. or, or this kind of thing. Winning the league is actually about getting thirty points from playing the bottom half at home. Well, and if you drop more, if you drop more than three or four points, you pretty much won't win the league. For teams like Everton, to a lesser extent than Stoke, but a lot of the time the games that they are on TV are against bigger and better sides so they have less of the ball 
so their players kind of inherently the chances of them looking worse are higher. It's because it's a small sample. The thing that always frustrated me with Bartley was how careless he was. Mm. And I remember going to games at Goodison and he'd be brilliant for 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes, and you think, this is this is good day, Ross Bartley. Then he spent the next 15 just giving the ball away with, mm. with just stupid passes, stupid, thoughtless passes. He's he's incredibly naturally gifted, but it's a, it's a focus thing, it's a concentration yeah. thing with Bartley. I think the, the, other, the other interesting thing with him playing with Eden Hazard is that Eden Hazard likes to have a lot of the ball. There are, there are Chelsea matches where him, even as a left forward, has more touches than any other Chelsea player. Bartley has a tendency to... When one touch will do, take five or six. Yeah, wander off with exactly, it. Exactly, which, and that will frustrate Eden Hazard very quickly. I suspect but there are some games when Hazard is on it that Chelsea's best tactic is give the ball to Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard and Barkley will need to kind of fit into line in that, which is not his natural game, I don't think. But maybe going to that elite club will maybe kind of he won't feel like a big fish in a small pond. There's no, there's no downside to Chelsea to no. sign, sign an English player for fifteen million quid. Mm. There is literally no downside. I'm interested to see where Puel plays uh, Mares this this weekend because I don't think you'll want him on the right against Alonso, who's just such a dangerous attacking force. So he might play him as a number ten, in which case he'll be up against Kante, which will be interesting to see those two against each other. It would be that was the the, the tactical innovation that Puel had brought in in his early matches with Leicester, which I think everyone thought would work really well. No, making Mares more of a traditional number ten. Yeah, he's switched him back to the right for the last couple of games, but against Alonso, I mean, I think Alonso can be quite suspect defensively. I'm not sure he's the quickest. I quite enjoy his battles against Bellerin, which we seem to see about five or six times a season because Alonso's so much better in the air mm. and Bellerin's so much quicker. It's just a great battle of, you know, in both, both Spaniards as well, it's a great battle of different styles. Speaking of Bellerin, Arsenal are going to be at the Vitality Stadium uh, Sunday lunchtime in what might be the final appearance for that Alexis Sanchez. Mm. But we don't do transfer talk here, so <laughs> let's just talk about the amazing match. Last time the Gunners went down to uh, Bournemouth, 3-3. Arsenal roared back with Giroud doing a, a now infamous scorpion kick celebration while there were minutes still left for him to try and get a winner instead and that kind of thing. You're, you're curious to know what that question I asked at the, at the start of the show was. Yeah, no idea what you were referencing. It's all right. It's OK. You may look the other way. We can try to understand the New York Times' effect on man. Only now do you begin to have glimmers, Daniel. Can you sing it? Yeah, I can. Oh, really? You want me to do it now? <laughs> do Listen, it for tune. Listeners, you're singing along because you've got it already, but it's, 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 a, it's quite a challenging sing, this one. <laughs> Um, but we'll save that for a little bit later on. <laughs> Something to savour later on, much like Bournemouth Arsenal, which is coming up on Sunday lunchtime. Gunners may be without Alex Iwobi, by the way, who has been disciplined for unacceptable partying. How many times do we have to say, when the fun stops, stop? Well, he played last night, so I'd be oh, surprised, he? yeah. Maybe he was partying after that nil-nil draw. That would, probably, that would, probably. would be a ballsy move, wouldn't yeah. it? Just straight back to... Uh, the, the story of it was amazing. In that oh, the Iwobi business. Yeah, him and, his so friends, so yeah. him and his friends went into a club, and I think he would have probably got away with it if they'd just gone to a club, but um, they got re- one of the friends got rejected, and being quick-thinking millennials, they um, immediately went on airbnb.com and booked a booked a flat within a sort of half a mile rate away from the club. And, and had their own party And had their there. own party there, yeah. That is genius. Uh, it's, it's almost as discreet as what... Um, as what Nyingolan did at, at, at yeah. Roma, who he posted basically a video of himself explaining he's, he's how. He's still drunk not back he, in the team, is he? No. Well, I mean, now, now we're on a fun our winter break, but mm. we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, very good. Okay, coming up very shortly, we'll talk about Andre Villas Boas.
uh, and uh, the Rooney Rule and more Premier League action and anything else we fancy, frankly. Listeners, the January transfer window is open for business and if you think you can identify better value than Chelsea did when they spent £50 million on a washed-up Fernando Torres back in 2011, then you need to check out the football stock market Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your football knowledge and make money. Buy players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit and a tax-free profit at that. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. T's and C's apply. You must be 18 or over. Deposit required. And please, trade responsibly. Andre Villas-Boas, I am really disappointed that he's already withdrawn from his first Dakar rally. you recall that he was... Treading the, 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 the in, treading in the footsteps of one of his was it his grandfather or his uncle who'd, who'd previously been a rally driver? His grandfather loved motorsport. I okay. don't know whether his grandfather did the Dakar Rally, mm. but he's always been upset. He's he's a, a petrol head, I believe is the term. Andrew right. It's, it's How many cars does he have by your estimation? I would guess between seven and thirteen. Really? Yeah. Okay. And he likes motorbikes as well. Yeah, he certainly does. Yeah. Uh, he hit a sand dune in the fourth stage which can happen, but he's safe and well after being hospitalised. Did he have to withdraw because he'd hit a stand? If you crash and stop, mm, do you I have think, to withdraw? No, no, he's... I don't think he so. I think if the car is repairable, they, they, they get you back out there. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how tight the rules are in the Dakar no, rally. No. It's one of those things I, I have no idea what it actually constitutes. I mean, I get the basic idea, but in what sense is it... It's a raid. Is it, it, it's a race. It, it, well, it's a raid and a and a race. Okay. It, it used to be nominally the Paris Dakar rally. Yeah. And uh, and now it's actually held in kind of Peru and places. So the Dakar bit, I guess, is just the brand. Yeah. Does, it, does it not move around? Do they do it in different parts? This, again, this is well, like Tur- used to... this is Turkish names. No idea. Right. Do they do it sort of in South America one year, then mm. like Africa the next year? I, or is it always in South America? I, I think that they the the Dakar route became too dangerous. Okay. So they've now basically franchised it out. But I like the fact that um, Villas-Boas has pretty much consistently said this throughout the course of his career. I remember when he, um, I went to Dublin for the Europa League final in 2011, mm-hmm. just before he joined Chelsea. And this was kind of the first time we'd been introduced. Certainly the English press had been introduced to Villas-Boas. And they were asking about his future career. And he said, well, I want a short career, six or seven years, then I'm going to do the Paris-Dakar rally. Oh, that's brilliant. And he stuck a... to his word. It's not yeah. like, you know, Paul Scholes saying he was going to play for Oldham for 20 years. And then, and not then play not. for Oldham. But he also said, Villas-Boas' thing was also that he wanted to use management to travel. That he's, I mean, he is a kind of aristocratic Portuguese kind of young man. He's from a very privileged background. And he always said he wanted to manage in... Brazil and Japan and I kind of thought he'd forgotten and just chased the money and gone to Chelsea and then to Spurs and then to China but he said I think it was in an interview with the BBC that he said that he was having a break he was on, he's, on, he's on his gap here mm-hmm. and then he'll go back and he wants to manage in Brazil and Japan so he obviously really means it and I've, I've got a lot of respect for that no, that, I've, that he wants to travel the world with, yeah. with this sort of still set that he doesn't necessarily care about I've got to win the Premier League three times or whatever that he wants to do something I really like that and I guess that might uh, factor into him managing the British Virgin Islands, was it? At the age of 21 yes, or something? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, that's a part of the world you don't usually get high profile Not very men going to. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Rory. Uh, let's see if uh, we can help hunger any better. He says, oh, I was talking to somebody who works and lives in 
Shrewsbury. <laughs> and apparently locals say Shrewsbury. And outsiders say Shrewsbury. This is completely counter to what has been said so far. Please uh, discuss this. It's the most confusing thing I've been told in a long while. Well, you're in luck, Hunger. There was a vote at the city's university in 2015. Spoilt papers got 2%. Other, 7%. Shrewsbury, 33%. And Shrewsbury, 58%. I'm not sure that necessarily... It's the will of the people, Michael. Well, but it's people... If it's the universities, people probably aren't oh, I'm not sure if it was researched by the university or just the okay. students. Yeah, you're right. That's the crucial thing. Yeah. Crucial inverted. Oh, it was a charity thing held at the university, I'm not told. Oh, OK. I take it back. Uh, oh, what we haven't talked about yet is the Rooney Rule. Chief Executive Martin Glenn, that's the FA Chief Executive Martin Glenn, announces that uh, the FA will interview at least one applicant from a black, Asian uh, or minority ethnic background for future roles in the England setup. Uh, the NFL, of course, introduced the Rooney Rule back in 2003. Rory, having literally just joined the New York Times, can you assess the impact in the state since its introduction 15 years ago? I think it's broadly seen to have made a difference that there are now more more black NFL coaches than there were previously and certainly in, in kind of relatively high profile positions right and it's it's obviously an encouraging thing for the FA to do I don't think it addresses the problem but it's an important kind of first step so the problem what is, would is, address the problem well, the problem is that there's not enough black and minority ethnic coaches yeah in the system yeah it's, it, this you're not going to get kind of someone getting their badges and then going straight into an, a role with England or at least you shouldn't the the key thing is to make sure that more black and minority ethnic people feel as though they can go and do their badges because they have a career path within coaching yeah, that is outside which the Which this world, to be fair, it should it encourage should it. So it's a it's a really good first step. I don't think it'd be really churlish to criticise the FA no, for it, but it's a first it's, step. Is them adopting it? Does that mean that that has to be the case for all clubs within the FA structure now, or is it just for it, FA positions? It's just them, but actually the the EFL football league clubs for the last 18 months have been trialling this with academy level. So academy coaches have had to they've had to interview. Although there is a slight opt-out clause, which is that if they don't conduct an interview process at all, mm -hmm. if they just, we want that guy, so going through any interview process is seen as a farce, they don't have to. But they have, as of January the 1st, they've now, they've now released that across all first-team positions at football league clubs. So this is going on already. And right. when people use that box-ticking exercise criticism, the idea is not that the next week we see differences. The idea is that 10 years down the line, someone who is 15, 16 now gets an opportunity they, they might not get in 2018, I guess is the point. So kind of judging it now seems pretty churlish. The problem is, is that this is not a flawless system by any means. Mm. Um, but criticising its introduction, as Rory says, seems a little bit, a little bit off. Absolutely. All it right. feels like we need to give it a different name from the Rooney rule as well. Yeah. It's because just Rooney be we associate with something completely different. Exactly. <laughs> what, why is it called the Rooney rule? Because the... Test case, the sample yeah. case for it was a chap called Rooney whose first name I don't know off the top of my head. Jenk, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get have a stab at Mike. I want Macca. Macca Rooney. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Dan Rooney, isn't it? Darts. You're all uh, uh, eager to know what's been going on at Frimley Green, where we're approaching the uh, quarterfinal stage of the BDO World Championships. I have to say, it's amazing. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever been down that way. Um, the Lakeside, what used to be called the Lakeside Country Club, which is now called the Lakeside International Complex or something, but is essentially still the same building from from Saturday tea time television in the 1970s. Uh, in fact, when you go in, the kind of backstage area is, is just adorned with all these kind of figures, like figures that will mean nothing to you, Michael, but 
Um, for me, it was like the bit when, you know, when Roy Scheider sat on the beach and he sees the shark? Well, he's the bell going for a shark. Yeah, and that there's that extraordinary Zoom thing. Um, so there's Lena Zavaroni, Freddie Starr. Okay. Yeah, Cannon and Ball. They're all up on the wall, <laughs> plus one or two little gaps where <laughs> the long arm of the law is <laughs> Anyway, um, anyway we, we've, we've seen some amazing darts, to my on to die anyway, and uh, I've been really excited by the machine gun delivery of uh, the Belgian Andy Bartons, who's through to the quarterfinals. Daniel, of course, the reigning champ, uh, Greg Dazza Duran, and uh, also in the women's, the Russian Anastasia Dormislova, who it, it's brilliant. She's very much, she's called From Russia with Love, and she's got. <laughs> she, she, she isn't, but. <laughs> no, she is. In darts, she is. And she's got, you kind of expect her to have those kind of little spring stilettos in, the, in, her, in, in her toes because she's got, she's got that kind of classic Bond villainess look. And when she throws the dart, she. She's got a slight curl on her lip, almost as if it's got poison on it, and she's aiming for some kind of... That makes dart sound quite sexy, which you can't... No-one said since Andy Forden. Really? <laughs> Actually, on the, on the subject of Bond and oh, yeah. those kind of sports, my favourite nickname in sports is uh, Nigel Bond, former snooker player, whose nickname was 00147. <laughs> And he never made a career 147. You're kidding. There's another snooker nickname which is excellent, which is Anthony Hamilton, who is from Nottingham and is self-styled Sheriff of Pottingham. The fact that it's self-styled improves it. (laughs) That is brilliant. Um, I I imagine Anastasia having to think about it and ending up with, it's going to be from Russia with love, isn't it, every time? Yeah. Yeah. I find it fascinating they play darts in Russia. It's not as fascinating as the fact they play snooker in China. But yeah. I mean, darts, I think, is it's probably quite a universal thing. She lives over here now, yeah. so I don't know at what stage she became a dartist. I was an, 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 arrows, an arrowsmith. Oh, were you? No, no, no. Is that not what they call people who play darts? Arrowsmiths or something? Yeah. Rory, I have genuinely no idea. <laughs> or interest. <laughs> no, no, I am interested. <laughs> the, um, but apparently the Dutch win the darts. Oh, yeah, they're mm. very good, obviously. So when did that MVG, happen? No, in the last... I guess 10 years is when the Dutch have... And they're now talking about the German, the wave of Germans. Yeah. In fact, we've had uh, Mikhail Unterbuchner, who sprang, despite being ranked number 79 in the world of the BDO World Rankings, <laughs> sprang a real surprise uh, in the second round, uh, knocking out someone to face someone in the quarterfinals. <laughs> anyway, we're live... Yeah, we're live every night on BT. I will move back on to the football now. Men and ladies of the Totally Football Show, why waste time going to the shop to buy overpriced quadruple-bladed vibrating turbo razors and making the likes of Thierry Henry and Roger Federer even richer by doing so? Instead, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just £4. There are no gimmicks with Cornerstone, just a closer, smoother shave than ever before. And it doesn't just work on your face either. I used it on Jimbo's head before we started recording. Mmm. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see for yourself. And if you don't love your first Cornerstone shave, they'll give you your money back, no questions asked. English football was excited to see an expensive foreign import debuting this week. Described as a game changer, but perhaps understandably struggled to influence the game in this first appearance. Can you see where I'm going here? <laughs> yes, it's VAR. V-A-R. Yes. Uh, yeah, it got a bit of a run out in the Arsenal-Chelsea game. The referee Also in the, the, the Brighton Palace one. Yes, and in that game as well. I thought the, the Arsenal-Chelsea game, there was a couple of incidents where... It was very clearly being used, not for any major incidents, but a couple of... Well, one penalty shout, actually, with um, Maitland-Niles. 
Yeah, I mean, we did, you know, we've yeah. been watching Serial, we've been watching it, so it didn't well, really learn anything new. Well, the Fabregas one towards the end was the interesting one in that I think it, I don't know, but it was around two minutes of open play afterwards. And the question that jumped out at me was what if a goal or another penalty is given during that period of open play? Yeah. There's a very bizarre situation whereby if a goal is scored then and then the referee goes back and looks at that penalty and decides it wants a penalty, yeah. not only is that goal disallowed, but also you're facing a penalty. And then it gets a bit messy. But I think we kind of have to... There seems to be an overwhelming air of, I don't like this because it's change at the moment, which some of which is understandable, I think. Um, but we kind of just have to give it a go and... See how it goes, don't well, we? Well, Aaron J. Cooper asks this question. Was football really that terrible without VAR? Well, so I'm, I'm kind of VAR neutral. Right. Because I, I think it's a shame we have to introduce it. Yeah. Because the, the actual solution to all of this is that everybody grows up and managers and players stop deliberately putting pressure on referees to make their job even harder. Mm. And fans accept that sometimes this one guy can't get everything right the whole time. But... At the same time, I'm trying to think, it's, the technology exists, let's do it, it's fine, it makes it right. But it won't make any difference at all if, if you end up with this debate about, well, they, they used it for that, but they didn't use it for this, so, it, so the FA's VAR system is, is biased against which is, us, which, which is, which is what's going to happen. And which certainly is what happened in Italy, yeah. where on one hand you have the Gazessa reporting that I think 54 errors have been avoided because of this, but the, the news is dominated not by that, but it's by the, all the things that people feel they got wrong or that weren't sent to VAR. Yeah. So I think there there's, there seems to be a, a groundswell of opinion to, to basically get rid of it. Well, then, and then you have the other problem, which is that for a lot of decisions, and this isn't a kind of football's a fluid sport, so you can't use statistics, but for a lot of decisions, they're, they're, they're not objective. Even penalty, I know the idea is to use it for objective decisions, but... So it's penalties, red cards, goals that weren't given, and mistaken identity. Yeah, and some of those it's easier than others. Just mistaken identity, yet. Yeah. It, if a video referee gets that wrong, as mm. well as the referee on the pitch, then we're in some sort of weird twilight zone. But... There'll, there'll be stuff they don't use it for. There'll be things that they do use it for where it's not immediately apparent whether the player got the the ball first or the man or whether it's a foul. Or, mm. And it still relies on everybody kind of thinking, actually, do you know what? We, we're going to have to just kind of tool all of this nonsense about referees. And until that happens, VAR will be as flawed as anything else. Which, I mean, Roy Hodgson certainly was very grown up after the, the Monday I- experiment the, the cup game down at, at Brighton when he said, yeah, I was upset, I did say things, but now I've seen it and they got it absolutely right. My biggest issue with the whole thing is that, it, again, it, it feels like it's punishing match-going supporters because they've decided, and I think correctly, although people are quite angry about it, that they won't show it on big screens in the grounds, which mm. is because um, they don't want to incite any sort of controversy and potentially incite violence. They do it in cricket, but cricket it is black and white. You know, it, umpire's call is is a thing where if it's the ball's over halfway or whatever. So they've decided not to do that because there is this idea of you know of, of subjectivity to it. Um, but that means that supporters are left in the ground last night, just kind of looking at each other, going, "What's happening?" Or even yeah. even worse, kind of checking Twitter to see what's happening. And that just feels like it's it's pandering to that TV well, audience. This is the thing, and this is something we we, we raised on Monday. And certainly right. from my point of view, I'm not a fan. I thought I would have been, and I don't think it's because it's changed per se. It's just that I realised that. Important though it is to find out who is the best, to reward excellence, to, to make sure that the right team wins. Ultimately, football's about something else. Certainly for anyone watching it, it's about a storyline. It's about a, a, a run of emotions. It's about the momentum of a game. And taking that away, it's almost like stopping a film to kind of say, well, but I, I, you couldn't have... 
Sorry. I find it really sad that they can't show it in rounds. What, so that you can do it in, in cricket. I think they well, do they it never, in US sports. With, with the guidelines were always, whenever people were operating those kind of replay screens, that you were never allowed to show replays of anything remotely controversial. All right, so that's fine. But what does that say about football fans? What, what is that message to, to fans in the stadium? Is mm. it saying you, you are... So, I, I'm sorry to break this to you, Rory. But... <laughs> no, but I, I think that if you, treat, if you treat people in a certain way, yeah. they are more likely to behave in that way. So I've got a friend who, who swears that if you swapped the kind of environment and culture of Wimbledon with football, you'd see a massive behavioural change. So if you served pies and ale at Wimbledon, you'd get loads of fights. And if you put, gave everyone strawberry creams and cream and champagne and football matches, people might behave better. And there is, there is a grain of truth in that ridiculous argument. So why can't they just put the footage up mm. and trust that the fans in the ground are A, mature enough and B, know enough about football to think, do you know what, our player has kicked him there, maybe it is a penalty. Particularly given that in 2018, the, the football fans who are most likely to cause abuse and anger are the ones watching on TV and on Twitter anyway rather than the ones at games because the ones at games are generally far more well behaved than the ones who are you know trolling footballers on Twitter so Cartier's quite often in the press box at Arsenal Mm. have you ever the fans in front of the press box have they ever agreed with Arsenal conceding a throw in never every time the opposition get a throw in yeah about ten of them stand up and go that's not a throw that's that's our throw it's ridiculous show them Show them the evidence, and I think that... Or give them champagne and strawberries. Or give them champagne. Well, they have that arsenal already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why there's never any I th- trouble. I thought you were going to say something different, which is that, uh, for our sakes, it becomes difficult uh, difficult because you get fans congregating around the press box trying yeah. to see the TV, which yeah. can lead to... Like, we get the blame. And that's the last thing anyone wants. But it's quite nice in certain grounds. Like Old Trafford, there's a group who sit in front of the press box who will turn to you and say, was that a penalty? Because mm. they know you've got screens. Mm. And they generally accept... I mean, it's the media, and obviously the media is deeply untrustworthy. Yeah. But they generally accept what we say. It's like having power. It's amazing. Actually, on the subject of uh, press boxes, that's where Wenger watched the game from yesterday, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I'm intrigued by this kind of... the very concept of a touchline ban, because... I'm not sure it makes any difference whatsoever. And I think in certain situations, you're much better getting an elevated view of the pitch rather than being at touchline level or sometimes beneath touchline level. And um, especially for someone like Wenger, who I don't think I've ever seen make shout instructions really or make you know major changes to his side, I don't think it's a punishment yeah. at all. Do you think, think in he's... 10 years, every all, all managers will be sat where they can get a decent view? No, but Allardyce did that in the... Mm. In the early 2000s, he went through a spell of doing it, and there was a few that did, and it kind of seemed to die out. And I think that might be a sort of proper football man thing. You've got to be seen to be yeah, shouting. Yeah. Shout. But it makes more sense, but the managers seem reluctant to do it. I thought that Wenger was breaking the rules on Wednesday because he he clearly had contact with his bench. I thought the idea yes, of a touchline Lehman ban was doing is that, all the, the contact, I think. Yeah, but he was talking to Lehman and Lehman was passing it on. If, if that's how you can do it, then the whole idea of a touchline ban is a farce. Um, it might as well be a stadium ban if that's what you're going to do. Mm. Uh, it just seems a very odd halfway house situation. Yeah, I suppose so, Daniel, I suppose so. Now, it behooves me <clears throat> to mention some other games that are going to be taking place this weekend. Uh, ooh, Crystal Palace, fresh from that defeat at Brighton in the Cup, will be hosting Burnley, who haven't won in five in the league, but they have brought in George Kevin Nkudu on loan from Spurs. Here's a thing. No player has won more Premier League penalties this season than uh, Zaha, mm-hmm. Wilfred Zaha at Palace, or no player has conceded more than Burnley's James Tarkovsky. Mm. And the two could be coming face-to-face this weekend. So, you know, pile on for penalties. Uh, also this weekend, Brighton, who beat Palace, are at West Brom. Watford are taking on Saints. There's been much dissatisfaction with the Saints manager, despite their win 
in the cup. Can we see Southampton's supporters point with this? Or do you think maybe in a year's time, Pellegrino will be at Stoke or similar doing really well and everyone will be thinking, no, it wasn't his fault, <laughs> it was the squad. Is it maybe the fact that they are continually selling all their players and that, and that's why year on year they're doing a little bit worse? Maybe. I still think their squad's quite good, though, because they're actually very good at bringing in players. Um, I think they are underperforming in terms of results. I think when you look at the uh, the stats behind the results, you know, the XG and all the stuff you love, James, then their performance <laughs> is likely to rise. OK. Um, so but they've I, had all their easy fixtures, though, Michael. Yeah, that, that is a problem. That mm. is a genuine problem, yeah. OK. Anyway, uh, Watford are not doing terribly well. Oh, it was at 4-3 to Southampton at Vicarage Road last season. Huh. By the way, you mentioned Walter Mazzari before. He's, I did. I did. Yeah, he's uh, he got off. To, he's at he's at Torino. I now. know. Yeah, 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 he got a yeah. great start as well. Three 0 They're loving him. But three 0 win over Bologna. Do they have this? Might be something for Galazzo, oh, yeah. James. But do they have the same debate in Italy about old managers getting the same jobs all the time as we do in England? Uh, no, I'm gonna say no. I don't think they do. Does it? It just seemed Mazzari going to Torino, and I know he's he's had a good, he did well at Napoli, and he's he's kind of had a decent career, Mazzari. Yeah, so it's not it's where not, it really all went completely very wrong. But it's not ridiculous to appoint Mazzari. No, he's, he's not a terrible manager, but it just seemed really uninspiring. Yes, and do they then? And funny if I looked at coaches in Serie B, and all the coaches in Serie B are about 160, <laughs> but do they not have kind of young a call for like young coaches to come through? Well, they do have young coaches coming through. Oh, you've got people like Eusebio Di Francesco, who's now at Roma. Okay, it didn't work out for Montella, but you've got loads of others. I'm not going to say Gattuso, that would be. But no, there are. There are loads who was at Crotone, Nicolai, who did a, well. Yeah. But there's not. It just seems. It seems as though even more than mid-table Premier League teams, mid-table Italian sides look at sort of 58-year-old men. I think yeah, the he's same the instinct everywhere in football to to go to a reliable, particularly when you are struggling and it's midway mm. through the season. Uh, anyway, Huddersfield are taking on West Ham and Newcastle are up against Swansea. Who are, how are they doing after the arrival of Carlos Carvajal? They are doing uh, slightly better than before, but nowhere near good enough. In- okay. Interesting, and probably put that in inverted commas, but interesting fact about Swansea. They're currently on track to set the lowest number of shots ever in a Premier League season on record. Wow. I think there's something. I think I think they now need to have basically up their average by two a game, just to just to beat the lowest record. They're they're well below Middlesbrough last season, who were dire for mm. shots. So they're just the absolute. It's impossible to overstate just how much the departure of Sigurdsson has, and their their subsequent recruitment of four central midfielders has has, has hurt that club. Right. They are. I think they are probably sinking without. W- one of them being, of course, Renato Sanchez. Gavin Hutchinson saying. Any theories? Have you ever seen such a pronounced loss of ability by an elite player? He mentions the um, decline of, of Torres and Sheva, but he says the Sanchez case is so extreme, he literally looks like a celebrity in a soccer aid match. The weird thing about Sanchez is that he, like, when Torres and Shevchenko went, it, mm. you could kind of understand it. They played a lot of football. They'd won something. Shevchenko, certainly. Torres mm. won stuff kind of while he was on his decline. Mm-hmm. Um, the bizarre thing with Sanchez is that he's, is he still a teenager? He's not 20 yet, is he? I think he is 20. Is he 20? Yeah. But this is going to sound massively wise after the event, but at the Euros in France, I did quite a lot of Portugal games and everyone was raving about Renato Sanchez and I never quite got it. And I know he scored that brilliant goal and he looked like he had a lot of energy but you kind of thought, yeah, he's just kind of a teenager running around and that's good and it's mm. not that he was a bad player but I remember sitting next to people saying he is going to be the next big thing in European football and I was 
sort of sat there as you quite often are as a journalist thinking, hang on, I don't get this, but that's probably just I don't know anything. So what am I missing? I, mm. It must be a flaw in me. But now I feel emboldened enough to say it in public. I never quite saw that he was a superstar in the making. I know the Paul Clement factor was obviously key in them getting him from, from Bayern, but at some point as a Swansea fan, you have to ask, he's joining Swansea City. There must be a reason for this. Not not just that he's not getting to the Bayern side, um, although clearly that was an indicator, but the fact that he was coming as low down in the pecking order of Swansea City had to suggest something. Yeah. And not just that Ancelotti was was Clement's mate. Um, the only reason he's played any games for Swansea recently is because he's Renato Sanchez. His performances have been pretty dreadful. Again, probably wise after the event, but you just have to think he left Portugal too soon. Yeah, yeah. I think the Portuguese league is a really good grounding for professional football. It's basically technical, but you do get some physical sides. You get six games in the Champions League, probably you know maybe two more than that. Um, you know, you just need to be playing football at that age. And he'd only had one season. It's mm. not like he, he came off the back of two good seasons in Portugal. There's a lot of, you know, Di Maria was there for two years, two or three years. David Luiz was there for two or three years. Renato Sanchez didn't even really have a full season at Benfica. It was six or seven months that he played. He got into the Portugal squad. Right. And then it was Bayern and he was he was kind of on the road to greatness. And yeah, I Coxie's probably right. It was just too soon for it. Reminds me of Christian Atsu, who was mm. thought of really highly at Porto and went probably 18 months too early to Chelsea. Obviously, you're not going to play, uh, play at Chelsea. You're not even really going to develop at Chelsea. And he's a, he's a Newcastle now, yeah. isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's doing all right. Yeah. Atsu's he's doing quite well. He's, he's probably their best player, Atsu, to be honest, apart from LaSalle. Mm. All right, which brings us back nicely, Mark, because of the fact that Newcastle are playing in Swansea, but without uh, Jamal Shells, who we mentioned on, on Monday. Mm. Now, having discussed all the football, it's time to get the odds from Paddy Power and his Ian McIntosh. Thanks, James. I'm here with Paddy Power. And, Paddy, it's it's time for Hotshot Jackpot, which is free to enter. You just download the Hotshot Jackpot app, pick the first goal scorer in six selective fixtures, and you could win 100 grand. Only stipulation, of course, is that you have to be 18. Paddy, how are you? Good. It sounds easy, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's show how easy it isn't. Uh, first game up this weekend, <laughs> Chelsea against Leicester. Uh, Chelsea won both of these 3-0 last year. It's 2-1 in September, but it's a tricky one to call because Morata's out of form, Vardy might be injured. Is it worth some kind of outside shout like Pedro? Well, he's hardly an outside shout now. He's one of the favourites, presuming he's uh, he's on the pitch. Uh, but he's yeah, he's he's only four to one to score the first goal. Chelsea be pretty short price favourites to win the games. So you got to think it's going to be probably a Chelsea player. But yeah, Pedro wouldn't be the worst shout ever. Four to one. Oh, not the worst shout ever. I think I think that's the uh, the, the most enthusiastic you've been about one of my first picks. <laughs> Watford against Southampton. Uh, Troy Deeney's back. And if he can stay on the pitch, what do you reckon? Deeney wouldn't be the worst shout. He was eleven to two as well. Both teams are kind of struggling a bit, aren't they? But Stanford in particular are in desperate shape. So uh, I think Deeney at 11-2 could be the one that, that could come on and, uh, and maybe change fortunes for some. OK, I'm feeling good about myself now. Spurs against Everton. They've just spent £28 million on Tosin. Excellent at Besiktas. Got a chance here? No, I think this is a bit mad. <laughs> um, he's coming in, like he's coming in for Besiktas. Like he's probably does, doesn't know the squad that well. He's probably, be, you know, it, it could be one of the dream debuts. It don't happen that often, though, do they? But uh, he's eleven to one. He's a bit of an outsider to score to score the first one. I think. Um, I think. Yeah, I think it's you're look, everyone are going to struggle in this game. I think. I think Spurs will have them in their pocket. Bournemouth against Arsenal. Kind of Arsenal against mini Arsenal. Um, farewell present for Sanchez. Sanchez is the most unhappy camper in the world, isn't he? So mm. uh, maybe now that he's got his everything's everything sorted with his leaving, uh, leaving imminent leaving, that maybe he will actually kind of 
concentrate on, on banging a couple of goals just to show the new club what he's at, what he's at. But he's seven to two anyway to score the first goal. So he's one of the short ones. Arsenal. This is the type of team that Arsenal uh, can play well against. I think if Bournemouth go and attack, which they probably will, leaves them a bit vulnerable for Arsenal on the counter attack. So yeah, so Arsenal are probably going to score a couple of goals and, and maybe uh, get their fortunes back up. So I, I cannot disagree. As much as I'm trying to, I cannot disagree with Sanchez. Um, game of the weekend: Liverpool against Man City. Uh, is this going to be a case of what Brian Glanville used to refer to as the immutable law of the X? Raheem Sterling turning up and scoring. Well, Sterling this season, it's been it's strange. Like, like He seems to be the most efficient striker in terms of minutes on pitch versus goals scored, I'd say. He tends to score at his first touch or, or the last touch of the game or something like that. Now, City kind of struggled uh, in the cup the other night. They still got over the line, but I wouldn't be worried about that. I think they're obviously keeping a bit up their sleeve for the big performance. Because I'm, I'm hoping this turns out to be like a... I don't know a five-all thriller or something like that. It could be one of those games with loads of goals, and I think I think it might just be. Uh, and I couldn't put you off Sterling, but I'd be more inclined to think he might be a last goal scorer than a first goal scorer this time round. I think somebody with a he's got a bit of pace which he can exploit players late in a match, and so I think it's a bad choice, Sterling. But I think <laughs> we he may, he so may well. score, but not first. We were doing so well at the start. Uh, last one, uh, perhaps not quite as mouthwatering. Manchester United against Stoke for a wild caretaker manager bounce. Sado Berahino. Yeah, can you imagine he did score a hat trick? Yeah, he's been so such a joke. He's um, he'll have to do it very quickly because everyone's saying how fat he is, which I love. I love being able to say that about a Premier League footballer that he's unfit and everything. He'll have to do it in a very short period of time if he's going to score maybe a goal or two. But um, yeah, he's fourteen to one, and I think that is probably slightly unlikely. You can download the Hot Shot Jackpot app for free. And you can find these odds and more at paddypower.com. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. That is where we come to the end of this edition of the Totally Football Show. You owe owe us a song. Ah. All right, one last time. And now it's all right. It's okay. You may look the other way. We can try to understand the New York Times effect on man. Is it? Really? Is it Michael Jackson? No. Is but, it Men Without Hats? Safety Dance. <laughs> no. It is, it, Safety it's, Dance. It's yeah. Very famous We can song, dance if we want to. Yeah. We can leave your friends behind. Yeah. No idea. Oh, Daniel, you at home? I know how it goes now. I won't be singing it, but no, I, I mean... I, you know the it, song, though. It's dead air, though, isn't it, if I think for ten minutes and not get an answer. Well, so. on this show. <laughs> is it the Bee Gees? It is the Bee Gees, Michael oh. Cox. Look at you, out of nowhere, with a 90-second minute Stand of rider. It is staying alive. Yeah. And now it's all right. It's okay. And you may look the other way. We can try to understand the New York Times effect on man. I didn't, I had no idea about the lyrics, but the, the beat of the lyrics mm. fits in. Yeah. The New York Times effect on man. Yeah. Whether you're a brother or whether you're a lover, you're staying alive. Well done, Michael. Truly impressive. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Have you got anything big lined up in the meantime? Paperback, of course. Uh, no, I'm at uh, Chelsea Leicester this uh, Saturday. Ah, nice. Okay, so that's it. All right, Daniel. I've got a weekend off this weekend, so Oof. I'm watching Liverpool Manchester City as a fan of football, which is should be nice. Very nice, very nice indeed. And Rory, you're back off to Manhattan now. Uh, I'm back off to Manchester. Oh, the, which is where I live. Rather than right. New York. Yeah, um, I know. I find that really disappointing. Why? Well, when you announce I've signed for the New York Times. I didn't announce. I, that makes it sound <laughs> rather grander than it is. Welcome, Rory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I had you kind of ticker tape parading your way down uh, Fifth Avenue. People are invariably disappointed when... A, if, I, if I email someone or ring someone and ask for an interview and you say the New York Times and they find out you're English, they are... Yeah. Especially Northern. People don't like 
that's a letdown. It's a massive letdown. It's good that you sometimes get Twitter abuse for being a clueless American. Yes. So that's good. That's my, yeah, I did Twitter abuse for <laughs> being a clueless American, to which my response is always, I'm from Leeds. Yeah. And the other one that is every day is... That's it. something along the lines of that's exactly what someone with soccer in their title would think <laughs> <laughs> every time. And people think they're really... Soccer's an English word. Soccer is an oh, English I word. I know. It really frustrates me. Yeah. Well, Rory, do hope we'll be seeing you uh, back here again soon in London town. Uh, it's been a real... Uh, it's just been a humbling uh, experience to sit with you three and hear you explain the week's football. Uh, uh, that's it then for today. Listeners, we're back on Monday... So I hope we'll be seeing you then. Have a super time in the meanwhile. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. <laughs>